From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy to each and every one of you tuning in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hey, you, to those of you streaming us on the uh, YouTube channel, Strange Planet, and those in the YouTube chat, the live YouTube chat. However, and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Open lines this hour. Open lines. If you want to talk about Iran, and let's face it, that's top of mind for many of us, uh, for most of us, uh, particularly after the shooting down of the Ukrainian airliner as it departed Tehran's airport during the fog of war, if you will, killing all 176 passengers and crew members aboard, including 57 Canadian citizens, many of whom were students and faculty at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. If you uh, extended birthday greetings and I haven't gotten back to you, I'm trying and uh, I'm kind of digging out from under all of them. And thank you, nonetheless. The mighty Aphrodite asked me, uh, how many candles should I put on the cake? And I said, oh, heck, just light the whole thing on fire. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And if you're, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but my old high school football jersey had Roman numerals on it. So, no, I'm not that old. Not that old. All right. Oh, I wanted to also mention a little uh, programming note coming up next week. It'll be author Dylan Howard, and he's written a a book on Jeffrey Epstein called Dead Men Don't Lie. That's the first hour. Dylan Howard next week on Jeffrey Epstein, Dead Men Don't Lie. Looking forward to that. All right. uh, Let's see. Where are we going here? Melanie is here from Toronto. Hello, Melanie. Oh, uh, a blessed new year, and uh, may the Lord be merciful to the souls of the departed and comfort the family. This is, as a Ukrainian person, this wasn't that much of a shock for me, because in the Soviet era, under Stalin and all his uh, henchmen, Beria, and all these other mass murderers, they would send out people to the West, and all the expatriates from Ukraine, from Russia and Belarus, who were working against the communist and Soviet regime, they were threatened here because they would implant their guys who were actually spies and they played as they were priests and they were, you know, part of the community and they weren't. But basically what they would do is target all the expatriates from the old Soviet Union here in Canada and also in Berlin and they, they assassinated a man. So that was part of the fear. So to me, uh, Iran purposely did this not to retaliate against America or Canada. It was directly to warn Iranians who leave Iran and work. For example, do you notice that they were all university professors, uh, professional people, all the elite intelligentsia of, of the Iranian community outside of Iran? This is a warning to them that you see this is what's going to happen to you. And they might have suspected that there was a spy that gave the information as to where their general was going to be, and they just decided to blow up the whole plane because they probably thought that one of those guys was giving the information and heading back to Canada after the general was assassinated. If we look into the list as to who was there, that's going to tell us. That's who they were targeting. This is who the threat is for. It's to 
threatened Iranians who are going to give information and what they would call traitors to the Iranian regime. It's worth considering, Melanie. I'll grant you that. But we'd have to find, we'd have to listen, uh, for more evidence in that regard. And I, I just, I don't, I'm not sure if you heard my interview with Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Washing dishes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, he, I asked him that very question, uh, you know, whether it was possible. And, and he just doesn't see the evidence for that. Uh, well, he could I, be also saying that. Well, to me, he might be saying that because he, they're allowing Iran to get away with this one mass murder that they've uh, created against the expatriates uh, because he, they, he's, he's probably he doesn't want America to be involved and blamed for anything, and they want to now go into peace and negotiations. So America and American uh, interests cannot say, listen, we know that you were targeting somebody on that plane that gave us the information because that would give it away. That would give it away where they got all their information and their spy information as to where this general was going to be. Oh, I they didn't. Somebody, they didn't need that kind of spy information well, from from an, from an Iranian. Plane. I think somebody on well, the plane was. It's worth considering, Melanie. Yeah, it's worth considering. A blessed, but I bless the year. Same to you, Melanie. Thank you. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, as strange as it may sound, I'm gonna take the the commander of the IRGC uh, at his word on this uh, until further evidence proves otherwise, and and. I actually, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm being deceived, uh, but the IRGC commander, who ultimately, you know, the buck stops here, he's responsible. He said, I wish I could die. He felt, he feels so horrible about it. He says, I wish I could die. I don't know, there was a real, more than a glimmer of humanity there. Um, so, I know, I know it's tempting. Uh, and, and, and there's a, maybe an urge to want to demonize. And Lord knows there's enough there to demonize. But in this case, I think, uh, you know, the situation is, it's kind of on, it's on simmer now. Do we really want to bring it up to a boil and risk it boiling over again? Uh, so let's wait and see. It is, a couple of things that are, are rather interesting. One, the, Iraqi uh, president, um, maybe a week before the Iranian Iranian shot down the, uh, the the airliner, talked about the 1988 shooting down of the Iranian airliner by the U.S., which was an accident. Um, and let me say, for the record, that so far the Iraqi response, in particular the IRGC commander's response, I wish I could die, was much better than George Herbert Walker's response. I don't know if you recall his response after that horrible, horrible accident. He said, I will not apologize for America. Yikes. Holy smokes. Uh, so, let's see. Uh, Earl is in Oakville this morning. Good morning, Earl. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi, Richard. After listening to you speak, I have to think about it, and I think you're right. Maybe it was an accident. Um, it's just that they shouldn't have been there in that airspace at the time, you know? The, could have been, the, the, could have been the an jet. accident. Could have been an accident. Well, absolutely. I, you know, there's so many questions. If it yeah. was an accident, number one, why wasn't, as uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis just explained, why wasn't the IRGC, this is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, yeah. why weren't they in command, or why weren't they in constant contact? They're, they're so close to the airport. 
Yeah. Why weren't they in contact with the civil uh, air authorities saying, you know, who's taking off? Who's landing? Yeah, yeah. We, you know, which which speaks to incredible uh, ineptitude, obviously, with such tragic results. Yeah. Uh, and also, as he points out, it shows just how weak the um, the uh, air defense system is in Iran. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You take care, Richard. Earl, thank you. All the best. Happy New Year. Bye. Uh, let's say hello to John, who's checking in from Pittsburgh. John, good morning. Hi, Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good, thanks. You? Terrific. I have to say, I, I'm very impressed with your city. If I could just take a moment, uh, well, I took the boys to Pittsburgh. I took the boys to Pittsburgh uh, this past spring as part of our little baseball tour. My first time there. What a what a job you people have done. Just a fabulous oh. city. The, well, thank you very much. I like it too, and it's very livable. They say so. It's uh, announced. Um, what years? Hello. Yeah, what's on your mind, John? Yes, uh, years ago, Richard, you had a uh, incident, a show on about a vampire that was running through England. Oh and yes, the, the Highgate Vampire. Yes. Okay. Uh, what was that about, please, again? Well, back in the late sixties, true story, um, nineteen sixty-eight, I believe, in Highgate Cemetery, which is in a, a district of London. Uh, there was a series of incidents over a course of several nights. Uh, several animals inside the cemetery and in the, and there were several houses that backed, or there's kind of a neighborhood that backs onto the cemetery. People were finding, um, animals, foxes and, 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 and dogs and so forth, uh, completely drained of their blood. And, uh, okay. then, there was a, um, uh, uh, someone, several witnesses who, when they passed by the gates of the cemetery, uh, they claimed to have seen some, uh, some strange, uh, figure with, with pale skin and glowing eyes. And, uh, people started to, you know, to, to, to panic a little bit. Then there was a woman whose house was adjacent to the Highgate Cemetery. She claimed that she'd been attacked by some figure in her bedroom. Uh, and so people started to put all this together, and all of a sudden, you had this hysteria, if I can use that term, taking over, and, and like a, like a scene out of a hammer film, uh, you know, Dracula with, with Christopher Lee, people started, uh, marching on the cemetery with torches and, and, and so forth, uh, wow. climbing the fence, looking for, for this, whoever this was responsible. And so it became known as the Highgate Vampire. Uh, and then I went to England to investigate, and I, I, I met a gentleman who's kind of at the center of this whole legend, because parts of it are, there's some truth to it, but there's also a lot of speculation and legend. This was a gentleman, uh, Archbishop, uh, whose, whose name escapes me now. He uh, mm-hmm. claimed to be a descendant of Lord Byron. Anyway, he claimed to have slayed the vampire in Highgate Cemetery. And uh, so I went to his home and I interviewed him, and uh, it was a remarkable story. Um, and in any case, he claimed that he found the um, he went down into the sort of the, I guess the uh, the mausoleums or uh, underground and and found the uh, the coffin containing the um, the vampire and um, and killed the vampire. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. If you're interested in, if you, if you go yeah. onto uh, YouTube, most of the, most of those episodes for my TV show, The Conspiracy Show, are up there on, uh, on, on YouTube. So I would just do a search, uh, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett TV, and, uh, or you might look at Richard Serrett Investigates, uh, and there's a whole, all the episodes there pretty well, I think, except for maybe season four, all there on YouTube, and, um, uh, you can, you can find the, uh, the episode, or you could go to the conspiracy show, uh, dot ca, and, uh, that's the website for the TV show. You, you should be able to find the episode there okay. and click on the link, click on the link for the vampire episode and it'll take you right there. Okay. Uh, conspiracy show dot ca. Yeah. Let me just, while I've got you live on the line here, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to type it up right here. The conspiracy show, just to make sure I'm not giving a, putting you on the wrong track. This is not okay. to be confused with my radio show. Search it on YouTube. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, happy Thanks birthday, for checking. Richard. Great show. Listen to you when I can and get you uh, in this area here. Love it. All right, my friend. Thanks for checking in Thanks, from Pittsburgh. Richard. All the best. Uh-huh. 416-360. 0740 416 360 and toll free 1-866-740-4740 use the toll free number just like John from Pittsburgh and you can call in and uh, you won't pay a dime 1-866-740-4740 I thought we would go to the uh, the YouTube uh, live stream chat and uh, take a couple of questions and uh, you betcha who joins us every week uh, without fail. You betcha says happy birthday, Richard. You don't look a day older than 30. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You betcha the check is in the mail. Duchess 80. Oh, Duchess 80. Is she new? Are you new, Duchess 80? I don't remember seeing you in the chat before. She says, ask him, Richard, if he thinks the general was the mastermind of the Benghazi riot and subsequent murder of Ambassador Stevens. Great question. Great question. Um, I wish I'd known that earlier and I would have, uh, I would have asked Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis that question. To what extent was Suleiman involved in, uh, Benghazi and the death of, uh, the murder of Ambassador Stevens? All right. Uh, and then you betcha, oh, back, you betcha's back again. Uh, what's your take on this amber alert given this false alarm this morning? Wow. Uh, for those of you who are outside the, uh, the greater Toronto area, um, many of us on our smartphones received this uh, amber alert. Luckily, I had my phone muted, uh, but those who didn't got a startling wake, uh, early morning wake-up, um, and this was from the Darlington nuclear plant, and it turned out to be a false alarm. And uh, we actually know someone who works at Darlington, um, or Pickering. Anyway, um, it was... It, clearly, it was, um, you know, it was a mistake. It was an accident. And, but now I'm hearing, you know, uh, the rumor mail again. This, there's no evidence for this. I'm just saying what's out there in the, the, the social media world and, and so forth, uh, that somehow the Iranians hacked into it. Uh, again, uh, I, I've, I've not seen any evidence of that. However, we'll wait and see. Um, but no, there's nothing, uh, nothing happening at Darlington. Nuclear power remains, uh, safe and, um, 
You know, just a quick aside on nuclear power. I know, you know, I've talked in the past about Fukushima and Chernobyl and so forth, but by and large, no question, nuclear power has proven to be the safest form of energy ever in history. Uh, and, um, I don't know why the climate alarmists, on the one hand, are saying, don't, you know, you have to stop using fossil fuel. Uh, and then we say, okay, fine. How about nuclear? That's been proven to be successful. No, you can't do that either. Oh, so we're to rely then on, on wind and solar. We're gonna, we're gonna freeze. Do you know how many millions of people would perish every year without fossil fuels? Uh, which leads me to the conclusion that, that uh, climate change is not the existential threat. It's climate alarmists. Uh, let's say hi to Mike in Mississauga. Mike, good morning. Hi there, Richard. How are you? I'm well. Yourself? Not bad, thank you. Great show as always. Great, great topics and great work on uh, filling in coast to coast. Really great. Um, I'll keep this uh, quite short. Um, I was listening a little bit off and on on the Roy Green show today on 640 uh, AM and uh, same topic. And uh, he, had a, he had a gentleman on, an official, who mentioned that on this particular flight that the Ukrainian plane took, there was exactly several flights, exact same pattern and flight that they all know their protocol and were taken prior to the Ukrainian flight. And um, something called, I think, the FDM or whatnot. It's a flight path that, it, that the pilots take and all the rest of it. So my own, when, I thought, when I heard that, I thought to myself, those first seven flights that got through before the Ukrainian flight, was there at least one American on board? Because Trump said one American casualty, one structure, we're going to come very hard down on the, the Iran nation. So I was just wondering if they, once they comb and peel back the onions and they find out from those first seven flights, if there was at least one American on that flight, and then they found out that on the eighth flight there were no Americans, that might have been the target. That's what I thought about. Ah, it was like, that's, that's interesting. Point. Well, then that that demands you know more investigation, uh, uh, Mike. So thank you for the, bringing that to our attention, which right. would, you know suggests the possibility that it might have been deliberate. Got to go to a break, Mike. But thank you thank for you that update. Much, All right. All the best. Back yeah, with uh, more open lines here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome back. Open lines. Jeez, you know, another year older and I'm starting to lose it already. Uh, final glide pattern. <laughs> A correction. John from Pittsburgh called in earlier and I was trying to direct him to where he could find an old TV episode I did on the Highgate Vampire. The website for the TV show is still up and available. This is for The Conspiracy Show, the TV show. Not to be confused with this radio program. And it's theconspiracyshow.com. Theconspiracyshow.com. And if you go there, uh, and just click on episodes, and you'll see the vampire episode is season one, episode 12. And underneath it says view. Just click on it and you can watch it right there on YouTube. It'll take you right there. Okay, John in Pittsburgh. Hope that helps. And for all of you, uh, fans of the, uh, my old TV show. Seasons one, two, and three 
all available. Oh, and season four. I oh no, just seasons one, two, and three so far. Those are all available uh, to view. And uh, again, you just go to theconspiracyshow.com and uh, click on episodes, find the one you want to watch, and click on it. There you go. All right. Uh, let's see who is up next. Tim is in Newmarket. Tim, good morning. Yeah. Welcome good to morning. the Conspiracy Show. I'm a first-time caller. Hey, welcome aboard. Thank you. Okay, I would like to talk about the passing of one of the greatest Canadians of all time, and that is Neil Peart of Rush. He was yes. my idol. Um, I've seen him 13 times, and I've been in the music business for over 40 years, and um, my heart is very heavy, as, as is all the Rush fans. And, of course, the Lee family, the Lifeson family, the Peart family, the yes. Underlinger family, which is the lighting director for Rush. And um, this guy was just synonymous with excellence in everything he did. I watched him with binoculars. I've seen this guy drum, and I've seen some of the best drummers in the world in my 60 years of living and I can't tell you how sad I am and the people of Newmarket and Canada and all around the world that had the pleasure of being exposed to the band Rush and the awesome, awesome drumming and lyricist abilities of Mr. Neil Peart. Yes, uh, admittedly, I was not a huge Rush fan. Um, when I was in, in, um, high school, I had yes. a couple of friends that were huge Rush fans, like yourself. One in particular, Paul, if you're listening in Brantford, Paul Bund, um, has a shrine in his house, and he would travel around like the Deadheads used to, following of the course. Grateful Dead. He would follow a Rush around and see them wherever and whenever he could. And, um, and when I would go to a house party, and if he was in charge of the turntable, you know, we, he'd have two hemispheres on there playing and and right. and uh, moving pictures and and all of their albums. Um, but even though I was not a huge fan, I could certainly uh, appreciate and admire and respect the the technical acumen of this this gentleman. And my understanding is exactly. that Neil Peart. I mean, just the drum kit was immense. Uh, the physicality yeah. involved uh, in, in 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 playing that huge drum kit, the the yes. the amount of energy imagine. and strength that would re- would be required, right. he must have been absolutely exhausted and drained and in pain after every show. Well, it's you know I'm I'm not going to even come close to say that I'm even near to the level of Neil Peart, but um, examining his. Uh, body of work, which I have, um, if you are a musician, maybe you will understand more. If you Do you play an instrument? Uh, no, no. My children okay, are so both that's, that's uh, play why, piano. But the connection yeah. always was with the musicians first and other fans that didn't play instruments, like Dave Grohl, for example, from the Foo Fighters and drummers like this, um, he was at a level of precision and speed and, uh, like you said, acumen and timing. And, like, he used to throw the drumsticks uh, 15, 20 feet in the air 
from a sitting position, you know, and catch it. And I used to watch him with binoculars, and there was no, like, a laughing face or, or you know, this guy was deadly serious. And I know that people all over Canada and are, at this point, very heartbroken. And we really lost um, a true superstar as a person and as a comedian. And I, 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 I agree. Eternal be his memory. And always, it will never die as long as I'm alive. And uh, as long as there's people that want to do the air drumming, like people would air drum at the concerts. So I'll bet. Yeah, he was a drummer's drummer. Some guitarists are, you know, they're considered a guitarist's guitarist, as you say, of because they're, they're, they're appreciated by fellow musicians. Uh, one right. of the things I, I also learned about, uh, about, um, Neil Peer, not surprisingly, was, you know, he was influenced by the jazz drummers like Gene Krupa oh, and course, Buddy right. Rich. And you could tell. Because he, he, he brought that to the fore with, even though, you know, he's playing in this amazing prog rock, uh, band, exactly. he infused, you know, Krupa and, 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 and all of these was, yeah. jazz drummers from the past. Now, Buddy Rich, he, this is the type of guy Buddy Rich was. He had open heart surgery and was told never to drum again, and he played Ontario Place <laughs> six months after open heart surgery. And I watched the show, and he had a big, thick sweater on. Now, could you imagine the heat from the lights and the? I couldn't imagine. You know, yeah, I do so. remember. I, I remember as a young boy watching Buddy Rich on the Tonight Show, right. and he was a funny guy too. He'd come, he'd sit down, of he course. would joke, he, he would tell stories, karate. and then he'd walk over to the drum kit on the uh, band, and uh, I was just mesmerized by uh, his oh, ability. And yet, you're right, the sweat pouring down. And he was in his late seventies at that time. Yeah, just the, the again yeah. the conditioning it's, it's quite of the an drummer. Instrument to play, and in Canada for some reason we have the best musicians, and they're treated not very well by the government or not very well by the people, really, until they're gone or they have to work so hard to get somewhere. And I would like to see that hopefully change. Uh, for the younger musicians coming up the pipe because it's very hard and it's a very uh, hard, you know, like ACDC says, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And I've been trying well for said. a long, long time. But I like this basically, guy, Richard. I appreciate you listening to me and long live Neil Peart and long live Getty and Alex and all the fans. Um, God bless Neil. Tim, thank you so much. Thanks. You've brought Neil Peart closer to the heart. All Thank right. Uh, do we have time for one more? Owen back in studio before we break? I got one time. Well, Owen says yes, so let's go for it. Tony's in Toronto. Good morning, Tony. Uh, good morning. I want to just talk about Iran. and uh, I hope that the recent events and the tragedy won't lead uh, to re-establishment uh, of diplomatic uh, relationship between Canada and Iran again. There are people, I understand, uh, that are actually drooling to see that happen. I hope that that will never happen. That's all I want. You mean you mean uh, you mean uh, you're hoping that this this uh, airliner being shot down doesn't lead to 
to Canada, severing severing diplomatic ties. I'm hearing you correctly. And the the now that the Canadian counselors are are uh, trying to get to Iran, and the, it won't uh, lead uh, to reopening of the Iranian embassy in Canada, and and uh, vice versa. Uh, reopening i i did no I, I we still don't we have diplomatic relations with iran no we don't we don't no no, All right. no. Yeah, harper so rightfully cut it off and uh, right. uh i'm sure that liberals are, are some of them actually at least are drooling for that moment uh, to undo what Harper did, uh, and uh, that's a disservice to the Iranian people and Canadian interest. That's all I want to uh, say. Tony, may I ask, are you from Iran? Yes. You are. When did you leave? Uh, when? When did you come to Canada? Yes, when When did you come to Canada? Uh, around 86. So seven years after the revolution? Yes. How did you get out? Oh, well, it's a long story, and I'm a last caller. It's, uh, I, I, I had to, I had to uh, they, they get uh, to the border and, and just, uh, I actually flee, fled. That's all. Tony, can I get you to hold on? Because I'd like to talk to you for some, um, would you hold on during the break? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, uh, Tony, ex-Pat from Iran, who escaped in 1986, and we'll chat some more on the other side. The Conspiracy Show, Open Lines. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Tony is uh, with us. He held uh, on during the break. Tony escaped Iran in 1986, seven years after the Islamic Revolution, found his way to Canada. And uh, as Tony correctly pointed out, um, something I wasn't aware of, and that is that we have not had formal diplomatic relations with Iran since 2012. Um, for some reason, I was under the mistaken impression that after uh, the, uh, the Iran nuclear agreement in uh, the summer of 2015, that we reinstated diplomatic relations, but that's not true. What we did do was we lifted uh, most of the economic sanctions against Iran. Uh, Tony is back with us. Tony, you, you somehow you made it to the border and um, were able to make it to Canada. Yes. Are you still with us? Right. Yes. And uh, what else can you tell us about uh, your, your struggle to get here? Oh, well, back then, uh, there was a, uh, under Maroney, uh, there was a, a, a program called Iranian Special Program. Uh, which was uh, designed to attract those who have some some qualification. It's not that I'm saying that I was qualified enough or I was better than the, the rest. No, no, no. Uh, there was some criteria set up, and the the, the uh, Canadian embassy in, in neighboring countries. Uh, 
such as, uh, in my case, Turkey, uh, would uh, accept applications for uh, Iranians uh, to come to Canada. And uh, right. from that route, I, I, that was the path that I took. And do you, do you still have family in Iran? Uh, well, uh, uh, my family are diminishing uh, as to the age. Uh, my, my parents have died, and, and uh, uh, um, distant families I have. Uh, not uh, very daily, the, the close families, no. No, but, I mean, do you have do you have contact with anyone in Iran? Oh, yes, of course, yes. And, and what do they tell you, for example, right now on the ground with the, the student protesting and, and the 1,500 protesters that have been killed? Uh, what is your sense of the situation, the, the domestic political scene in Iran? Is there any chance that there will be a, a, a huge uprising and that the, the mullahs will be uh, forced to flee the country? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The, the 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 whole thing is very ready for 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 a a, a final uprising. Uh, the, the, uh, it all depends on on a, on, a, on a foreign understanding, not necessarily foreign aid or intervention. The intervention is 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 the very last thing that that Iranian people want. During Obama's administration, there was a, a green movement, if you remember. Yes. And, and Obama didn't move, didn't, didn't do anything for, for, for those who participated in that uprising. That opportunity was lost during Obama time, and we hold. What what could President Trump do if the, the the people of Iran decide once again to take to the streets en masse? Mm-hmm. Uh, what could the Trump administration do to assist them, short of you know military aid? Oh well, this this is the thing. The 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 the. Sanctions have to be meaningful, and it's number one. Number two is he has to make sure that he put ultimate pressure on Iranian agents who are who have been deployed outside in North America. In, in 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 huge numbers. The name of your show is conspiracy thing, and if I say that there are sleeper cells in Canada, you say, "Oh, this guy is talking." Oh no, I have no doubt, Tony. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that there are sleeper cells here. So the first sign he has to show is to kick out those people who are sent by the government and presently they live and work in the United States. 
they they hold high high positions, academics and 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 businessmen, and they are fully connected to the uh, government of Iran. That's that's the first thing that he has to do. He has to. Okay. Tony, I have about a minute here, so I, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. One, okay. how did you feel when you saw here in Toronto um, ir- ir- Iranians protesting, or Iranian Canadians, and not only just Iranian Canadians, other Canadians protesting at the U.S. Embassy uh, for the uh, um, the targeting of Soleimani? I'm telling you, I don't know about the other nationals, but the ones Iran, the, the Iranians, those Iranians who who go and and oppose these things, these are the the ones that I'm talking about. Those are the ones that they they have received the order from 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 Tehran to show up. Those are the ones, and this is my thing. Liberals are don't have the guts to do anything about those people. There are liberals who are drooling. To go soft on Iran and Iran. Tony, yes. Tony, I thank you for calling in. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. You, you, take, you took me. Bye bye. All right. Great call. Uh, we'll take one final time out. Come back, and uh, I'll continue to take your calls until we uh, decide to dim the lights here and say good night for another week. Stay with us right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Uh, let's go to Richmond, Virginia, and say hi to Gabriel. Gabriel, welcome aboard. Hello, Richard. Can you hear me clearly? I can. How are you picking us up tonight? Uh, I just like to uh, check out the AM radio stations and see what's going on, but I was very curious to know what uh, which show was about when I heard about conspiracy theories. Oh, so you're listening to us on AM 740? Yes, I am. Way down in Virginia. There you go. Earlier we heard from Pittsburgh. It's always nice to hear, you know, how far the signal is extending and, and how are we coming in down there? Uh, it's okay. I decided I'd uh, go onto the website as well so I could stream it. There you go. All right, Gabriel. What's on your mind tonight? Well, I'm just curious to know. Maybe I could ask you a couple questions about it and get your opinion. Um, I kind of wanted to go back to the subject of climate change, if that was all right. Sure. Yeah, so I, I'm just curious to know if uh, it, seems, it seems that we're getting, you know, in, in all these different forms of media, uh, you know, super big example, you know, being TED Talks. I've seen it dominating that YouTube channel, all these TED Talks about climate change, um, as well as, the, you know, I don't know if you've looked into the uh, IPCC report, which was released yes. by the United Nations, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, I'm right. just wondering if, if all of these, uh, and I understand that you were saying that the real problem is the climate alarmist as opposed to the you know issue of climate change itself. Um, I'm just wondering what your opinion would be. I mean, all these sources of authority seem to be telling us that there is a very significant issue um, that's happening. And, it, it you know, to me, you know, from what I've seen and just what I've, I've observed, it seems to be that the real conspiracy is uh, that we've had this information for such a long time and have failed to act on it. And, you know, it seems like big corporations are, you know, paying a small group of people to spread misinformation or cause 
um, you know, cause confusion or, you know, doubt that climate change is, uh, you know, happening at the rate that it's happening. Well, show me where is the evidence that climate change is happening uh, at this, you know, aside from, you know, anecdotal evidence about extreme weather, which is a constant, uh, you know, where is the evidence? Where is the data? If you mentioned the IPCC report, if you go to, I believe it's chapter nine, it says right there, their models, their computer models have been, have demonstrated that they can't project outwards in terms of predict, uh, predicting, uh, uh, climate. It's right there in the IPCC report. Well, and I think that the reason for that, and I think that the IPCC report is actually a very conservative report in regards to climate change because most of the most of the things that you're trying to measure when you're talking about a global scale of events, it's I mean you're not able to quantify it with absolute certainty. We're not going to be able to say with a you know less than a one percent you know uh, range of certainty what's going to happen because it's such a big problem. But there are well known uh, well known effects that are being caused by climate change uh, that I feel like are worth you know looking into. I mean I, I encourage all of your listeners to. To look into these effects and see, you know, for themselves, uh, the the studies that have been do- done on them. Uh, you know, for one example, what I've looked into is like the albedo effect, uh, which is the idea that when the sun is, you know, is it, it's it's our sun's rays are reflected from the ice and the polar ice caps, so the energy is shot back into the sky because of the white ice, you know, reflecting it back into the atmosphere. Um, but while the ice is being melted. We have darker water as our surface area, which instead is increasing the temperature even more. Um, that's just uh, just one of the effects that I, I find uh, a little alarming. Um, another well, one. That's being, the effect of climate. Yes, the climate changes. Uh, the, the the question at hand is 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 it anthropogenic uh, climate change? Are are we contributing to it? Perhaps. Uh, right. But let me let me. That's you mentioned why, ice. Okay, so I, let, let me just mention this: the Arctic ice. Uh, 6,000 years ago, the Arctic was ice-free. Ice-free. Carbon dioxide levels less than 300 parts per million. How do we explain that? Right, 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 right. And I, and I understand. Um, but you said it's, it's the problem is anthropogenic. And, and and we actually live in the geological name, uh, age known as the Anthropocene, which I'm, I'm looking it up right now in the dictionary, just making sure I say it right. In Anthropocene, uh, the definition is relating or denoting the current geological age viewed as the period during which human activity has become the dominant influence on climate and the environment. So this is actually the geological age that we live in, known as well, the Anthropocene. Okay, no, that's interesting, but that's 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 called arguing from authority. That's I mean, that doesn't – if I say, well, so-and-so said this, that doesn't mean, you know, that's the case. Um you know, the other thing that we hear constantly is about the, the, the rising ocean levels. Uh, and uh, I, I walked into a high school open house. I'm shopping around for a high school for my boys. I walked into the geography department, and they had all these posters on the wall, uh, you know, about all of these islands are going to disappear. Uh, and, you know, rising ocean levels, and we've been hearing about this for forever. Uh, the ocean levels have been rising at about two and three-quarter millimeter per year, since Abraham Lincoln was president. It's been constant, it's been predictable, it's been slow and steady. Uh, there's no evidence, you know, that the ocean levels are rising at an alarming rate. None, none whatsoever. 
And there, and I have yet to see any evidence that carbon dioxide is driving temperature. None. I mean, if anything, it, be, it seems to be, if you look at the geological record, it seems to be a lagging indicator. We see periods when the temperature goes up, then carbon dioxide levels rise, rather than the other way around. So we haven't even figured that out, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I can tell, looking at the, looking at the data. I've yet to see any evidence that proves carbon dioxide drives temperature. And that's the key. Until they can show that, I don't think it's worth spending trillions of dollars uh, shutting down entire industries, putting millions of people's lives at risk. The, 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 what's killing you know millions of people? We have Greta Thunberg saying, "Oh, you know, millions of people are dying because of climate change." No, millions of people are dying every year around the world because of energy poverty, because they can't heat their homes with affordable uh, and safe, um, you know, oil furnaces and natural gas. Uh, what are they using? They're burning dung and wood inside their houses, and they're dying from, uh, you know, from respiratory ailments. Four million people a year die from energy poverty. That is the problem. Africa, look what's happening in it. We could lift Africa or Africans could lift themselves out of, out of poverty if they had the, the advantages uh, of, of an industrial revolution, if they had access to cheap, affordable energy. That's what's putting lives at, in, at risk, not climate change. It's denying technology to people that need it. I'm curious to know, uh, I mean, would you, I mean, I'm, I'll ask you, would you happen to know, I mean, how much oil is there left to use? Is it even a viable source of energy that we would be able to cultivate for, for uh, you know, a sustainable amount of time? Well, I don't know, but, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, we're going to be on oil for the rest of our lives. We, we certainly, yes, I'm all for, I'm all for looking for other sources of energy, uh, you know, nuclear uh, we're shutting down nuclear plants at our peril. We shut them down in this province at our peril. Um, you know, wh- why aren't we looking at nuclear energy? Why, why are the, 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 uh, the environmentalists, uh, so dead set against nuclear and yet we, and we can't have fossil fuels? Imagine, you know, what would happen in a, in a climate like North America without access to, to fossil fuels? And they, and they want to, they want to, they want to shut all of that down by what, 2030? It's it's a it's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. And I completely, I mean, I completely agree with you. That's why I'm trying to get to the bottom of this and really understand the the situation at hand. Because I feel, you know, either way, whichever way you look at it, I mean, I don't think that uh, it, it would not be an easy change. I'm I'm 100 percent in agreement with you. I mean, we're talking about a complete uh, a complete change in the lives of, I'm sure. You know the entire uh, Canadian population as well as the American population. If we were to, you know, change our reliance uh, from fossil fuels to another form of energy, I'm in complete agreement with that. It would be cataclysmic. It would be cataclysmic. And the the key to all this, it's a because it's not about the climate, it's not about the environment, it's about control. Their solution is give us the authority, and we'll solve the problem. (laughs) When has government ever solved the problem? Uh, in Canada, in Canada, they sell marijuana and they and they're losing money. Only a government could sell drugs and lose money. Are we really going to trust them to solve our uh, our, our energy problems? Uh, um, Gabriel, apologies, I got to run. We're out of time. Great hearing from you. I hope you'll call again and we can continue this conversation. Thank you, Richard. You have a good night. 
All the best. All right. My thanks to uh, Owen and Ryan and to all of you for listening. Back next week with a brand new program. We'll talk uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, with an author who's written a book called Dead Men Don't Lie. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.